Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today is a, is a special day, and, and we've been saving this great mind and person for our audience until the triple digits. Today is episode 100 of the Brain Mastery Podcast, and we're very happy to have been able to share many brilliant minds with our audience today, all focused in their unique ways in helping to improve overall brain health. And today's guest is no exception. Dr. Matt Gelati is going to be joining us today. His story is remarkable. You know, you hear the word hope a lot. And sometimes I want to understand what's underneath that hope. We hear people talk about, oh, there's hope for recovery. There's hope to get better. There's hope. And there is. But there's also a heck of a lot of resilience and behavior that underpins that hope. And today's guest is, I couldn't think of a better example of that not just for himself and his family. I, full disclosure, I've known him a while and I know his family, so he's a friend too. But, you know, he's out there and he's created a community that thinks the same way he thinks and are also improving their brain health and changing community together. So Dr. Matt Gelati, thanks for joining us today on the Brain Mastery Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Wow, what an introduction. I'm. It's truly an honor. You know, you just told me today that it. this is your 100th podcast, and I'm so honored that I was the guest to kick you into the, the double digits. So thank you very much. And, you know, you're also a huge inspiration to me as well and everything that you've done and, and your personal journey and story with, with brain injury. And then where you've taken ABI wellness. Oh, thanks, Matt. It, it, it takes, you know, it's funny when I first met Matt, I, I get this phone call at our office in Burnaby and my colleagues like, you need to call this guy. He's a doc in, in Ontario that wants to talk. And, and at that point it was really early stages. And a lot of people really were still trying to learn more about applied neuroplasticity. And, you know, right away we, we hit it off and we've been in touch ever since. So maybe mm -hmm. Matt, it's your story and it's an amazing one. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what ultimately ended up having you not only trained towards becoming a doctor, but how that got sidetracked and what got you back going and what motivates you today? Yeah, so we'll um, we'll break that down into chunks. We'll start with where I grew up so that I grew up in Toronto, did all of my schooling in Toronto or north of Toronto in my early years. So Grew up in Vaughan, which is on the outskirts of Toronto, and then you know went to high school at St. Michael's College in Toronto, and then spent most of my adult life in southwestern Ontario for undergrad, medical schooling, and then residency. And you know, I was always an avid athlete growing up. I loved playing all sports. My bread and butter was really soccer and hockey. Played high level for both of those was even recruited to play soccer in England semi-professionally, which was an incredible experience for me. And then, yeah, made it into to med school. And, you know, my dreams were, I guess I really didn't have one particular direction. I think I was interested in obstetrics and gynecology for a while, but, you know, my story kind of forced my path in another direction. And we'll get into that, I'm so sure. Here's Matt, you know, he grows up, loves sport, right? Loves movement, which is, again is a theme. 
and you know is is going in towards medical school so what did you study as an undergraduate in undergrad i mean my whole life was geared towards medicine i kind of knew for from a young age that I, it was something that i wanted to do and i can't really even tell you the reason why i want to be a doctor <laughs> i guess like i'm going to use the cliche answer that i want to help people but i think that if i'm going to really dig down deep and like revisit my past this kind of awareness around medicine and you know the need to help people and that people are vulnerable really started in my early years when a good friend of mine passed away from a ruptured brain aneurysm as a young child and that really like struck me and and said like wow like i said wow this even at a young age anybody can can be susceptible to a medical condition and the brain is also a very incredible amazing organ but also a very vulnerable organ so kind of i like to think that that kind of piqued my interest in the brain early on my undergrad was in medical sciences so it was very geared towards getting into med school and actually it was kind of like the precursor to my medical program because as i mentioned to you before both my undergrad and my medical schooling were done at the university of western ontario so a lot of the courses and teachers for my undergrad were actually mm-hmm the teachers uh, of the courses in my first two years of medical school. So there was actually one course in particular that was almost like a direct mirror of like my first course in med school. So So it prepared prepared me well, for sure. Oh, it's brilliant. And so here he goes, right? He's out there at University of Western Ontario. Go Mustangs. I think it's Mustangs, right? Yes. And, And good football program. then. And you're on the track, right? You're moving towards what you want to do. Maybe some of the inspiration. He's got a great family, you know, supporting him, uh, you know, believing in him. He believes in himself. He's also motivated for this friend that had this aneurysm. Maybe one day being a part of something that might be able to help in that way, maybe. And then we get a a life-changing event, right? Why why don't you help our audience hear a little bit about that? Yeah, so it was uh, completely sidelined me. Like, you know, it was out of the blue. I was... It was actually after my my second year, first semester exams, and I was back home for the weekend visiting some friends and family in Toronto. And my medical schooling was actually in Windsor. It was Windsor Western Campus. So I was back home for the weekend and decided that you know I was going to leave on the Sunday night to go back to to med school or to uh, to Windsor. So I looked outside and the weather was terrible. So I was like, you know what? I'll just leave in the morning. I'll wake up really really early. I had to be back for a really, really early morning small group session that was mandatory. But unfortunately, I woke up and the weather was even worse. So, but I had to be back for the small group session. So I got into the car, I had a passenger with me, and the weather was so bad that there was a detour route off the 401 West, which is the stretch of highway that goes from Toronto to Windsor. And the detour route was about at the halfway point. And it got off in a small little area called Woodstock. So got onto this detour route. Again, weather was bad, hit black ice, car spun out of control, hit a tree or the car rolled up the tree, down the tree. I hit my head either on the side of the car or on the tree and the rest was history. I had a number of different injuries. A lot of them were orthopedic, but most critically, I had a bleed inside my brain Uh, specifically at a layer in the brain called the subarachnoid layer. So it was Mm -hmm. a subarachnoid hemorrhage. And I had a severe brain injury, was knocked into a three-day coma, 
woke up from that coma, couldn't walk, couldn't talk. So, and again, second year med student at the time had my whole life mapped out for me. And <laughs> suddenly in an instant, everything changed. Wow. I mean, the impact of this, you know, for people that are listening, you know, many of our audience will have somewhat of an appreciation for this, but some won't. This can happen. This is the thing about brain injury. And this is something that I really admire about what Matt and his team are doing. And Matt, I'll talk a little bit more about that. But a brain injury can happen to anyone, anywhere, really anytime, whether it's, you know, traumatic, like, like Matt's, or it's acquired, like a sort of a stroke type of a, an injury. So Matt, what, why don't you help us to keep telling the story here? Because I'm sure people are sitting on the edge of their seats right now. Yeah, for sure. So as you can imagine, I mean, only now we're at, I feel like in recent years, we're on the brink of a revolution in terms of understanding the brain. I'm sure you would agree. But even now, we're just at the, the tip of the iceberg. Nine years ago, when this injury happened, the common dogma was completely different. The common thought, even what I was being taught in med school as a second year med student was that the brain is a fixed organ. It doesn't have potential to create new brain cells, regenerate, heal. It's kind of like the static organ and what you're born with in terms of brain cells is what you die with, unless you lose some, of course. So you can imagine like uh, you picture like a hockey player who's lost his hands. That's like the organ that he needs to succeed in his in his practice, right? For me, it was the same way. The one organ that was most important for me to succeed in medicine and succeed like medical school and my career was my brain. And this was the brain, the organ that was damaged. So luckily I was a, a very stubborn patient and <laughs> or resilient or, or resilient. resilient. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, um, you know, from day one, when I woke up from the coma, I was that patient that ripped out all of my, my intubation to my, I, I ripped out my IVs. I was, it was like Wolverine. Like I was ready to go. Yeah. So I was trying to walk. I was, a, I'm sure I was a nightmare for the nursing staff. I was trying to walk around right away. I think at one point they had, they had no choice, but to like strap me down to the bed. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to say that that same tenacity is uh, contributed to my great recovery. And so I would say I spent about two weeks. Well, the first hospital that I was brought to was Woodstock Hospital. And then I was transferred to the nearest feeder hospital, which was a larger center in London, which also happened to be where my the heads of my program at Western were. So suddenly all of my profs became my doctors, which isn't the greatest thing because again, they have access to all of your medical information, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So I, I spent some time in a, you know, in critical care there. And then I was brought to a neuro step down unit in Sunnybrook, which was a little bit closer to home for me in Toronto. And it was there that my recovery I would like to say my recovery began because my, again, my family was very motivated. So, you know, they were bringing me different types of material to help me stimulate my brain. My mom was bringing flashcards with yeah. you know basic math and teaching me how to retell time. She was bringing me like picture books to, yeah. you know, color in the lines. I literally had to relearn everything from scratch. And one of my sisters, actually, she worked for, Loblaw's head office in natural foods and was researching brain healthy mm -hmm. supplements and diet and, you know, bringing me all the best things to eat to, to nourish my brain. And a good friend actually came to 
my my bedside one day and she brought a book that became really important to me at that stage in my recovery and it was called my stroke of insight and yeah. this book is all about i'm sure you've read it yeah. all, all about a neuroscientist and her recovery from from stroke and it was a severe stroke and it took her seven years to recover yeah. seven or eight years i yeah. can't remember but yeah. by the end of the you know she considered now considers herself fully healed so at that point it really like struck a chord with me because you know i was remembering everything that i had learned in med school and that the brain you know doesn't have potential to mm -hmm. create new brain cells and regenerate and heal and this book was like the first thing that like lit a, a light bulb up in my brain and said you know what it, recovery is possible because this person has done it so my inpatient once i i left sunnybrook i went home for a short period of time and then I was admitted to Toronto Rehab, which is where my inpatient rehab journey began. And it was there that I was working with all the allied healthcare, like occupational therapy, speech language pathology, physiotherapy, psychology. And I was also enrolled in a research study with Canada Chair of Traumatic Brain Injury at the time research. Her name is Dr. Robin Green. And the purpose of this study was one to you know to help me return to medicine faster because it was a way to i thought in my mind to accelerate my recovery because through this quick question quick yep. sorry to interject i want oh, to keep no, you going no this is amazing yeah. i yep. love this story no um, worries yeah was there ever a thought in your mind that there was any way that you weren't gonna get better it's somewhat better was there ever a doubt i would say yeah there was lots of doubt like <laughs> any like anybody, right? It like it start you start to question everything because all of the feedback that I was getting up to that point was and things that I was reading was that, you know, you're this is like a huge change that, you know, not a lot of people make a full recovery from. And, you know, you're gonna have to the the focus was more on accommodation versus yeah. full recovery. And it was really disheartening because nobody was telling me like, you could recover from this. It was like, you know, you could, the, the message was more like, you know, almost like be thankful for what you have left. And like, you know, you could still find meaning in life, which is, it is like a nice message, but it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear that I was going to return to my dreams and aspirations and goals. So when you have everybody around you telling you like, listen, you have to be realistic about things, you yourself start to question things. And, and with brain injury, especially there is comorbid mental health, depression, anxiety, and it, it calls into question, like, is that comorbid depression and anxiety because of the brain injury itself, because of the damage to the brain, or is it because of your life circumstance? Suddenly everything has changed. And, you know, that also impacts your recovery because as we know from neuroplasticity, in order to focus on creating new neural pathways in your brain, your brain can't be preoccupied with worries about the future and ruminations about the past. It has to be, you have to create this perfect, healthy environment for your brain, both nutrition-wise, mental health-wise. You have to be in the right mental state in order to maximize neuroplasticity. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like part of the message, you, you sound like a little bit of a coach, like almost like kind of in those moments, you know, to use kind of the hockey metaphor, like I, I can't necessarily 
control the outcome of this game necessarily. However, I can control how I, the actions I take on each shift and how I'm playing, right? So it kind of, it was that kind of the way that you were looking at it with your, now again, he's got a great team of people. He's got a great family. I know his dad well, great guy, doing great things. Got a great group of friends who are supporting some of the initiative that we're going to get to later. But in those moments, for the encouragement for someone that might be going through this similar process right now, or a physician that might be treating, you know, sadly, as we're talking, many hospitals are full with people with these sorts of challenges up the road. What's your encouragement to them about the mindset towards that? Not guaranteeing any sort of outcome, but what's the mindset that fuels the behavior? I I think you nailed it, that it is really about like taking the unknown and saying like, I can't control everything that has to, all the factors that have you know, cause this accident or, you know, I can't control every factor of how I'm going to recover uh, going forwards, but I can control what I'm going to do. And I could do everything in my means possible to make the best recovery possible. I could completely change my lifestyle around so that it's now a brain healthy lifestyle. And it's going to give my brain the best possible chance of recovery possible. Love it. That's so good. You know, really listen up and rewind that because that's a big part of medicine is It's on the person as well. It's not just on the doctor. The doctor is so incredibly important, but it's also on the patient and the person to be able to do as much as they can themselves to support the medical outcome that we're both, both parties are trying to achieve. Absolutely. But on that note, I also want to mention that, and maybe this is a message for healthcare providers that may be listening here. It's the, the message that you have to instill hope in your patients because that is the foundation of everything. If you don't have hope, that's already half of the battle. You know, it, hope is motivation and motivation is what is going to push you to completely change your lifestyle around. And it's also going to get your mind in the right frame to heal and recover. I remember when, when I was recovering, I was like desperately searching through the literature for examples of people that had made great recoveries and returned to, you know, a professional program. And it was it was really, really hard to find. And I almost felt like a pioneer in some respects because it felt like I was doing something that, which I'm sure other people have made great recoveries, but I couldn't find them. But I felt like I was like foraging like a new path. Like, um, and so from that point on, I vowed to myself that if I ever recover or when I recover, I said, yeah. because again, I put that out into the universe, when I recover, I'm going to be that beacon of hope for other people, other survivors moving forwards. And you are, Matt, you are. Look at what you've done, even in just a few short years with the with the people that you brought around this, this shared vision for Brain Changes Initiative. You are that, and it is happening, and it's wonderful. So when you think about this work, then, and if there's just maybe one or, okay, maybe two, maybe one or two, when you think about, and let's let's zoom back out, the world of let's call it brain health. What are your one or two biggest frustrations in that world? So I think that I, I'm going to speak to two things. I'm going to say number one, it's that you know these vital lifestyle modalities that are so important for brain health. It's not common knowledge yet that amongst the the lay people, yeah. even amongst medical students, that you know there are things that you could do that literally change the brain. As I mentioned, when I was in med school, there was maybe one sentence in in my medical school binder that like said the word neuroplasticity. 
that had no contacts around it. And again, there was no talk about the creation of new brain cells, which is neurogenesis, the brain's ability yep. to change, which is neuroplasticity. These should be the fundamentals of, you know, the neurology course taught to, to medical students. And then, you know, that trickles down to the population, the general population themselves have to have an understanding that the brain has this immense potential to change, heal and recover. Right. Uh, you know, we have a support group through my nonprofit organization, Brain Changes. And I remember being a guest speaker in my own support group. And, you know, I was talking about these lifestyle modalities and, you know, a lot of the survivors in the support group were interrupting me saying like, why was this not told, told us by our medical providers? Like if we would have known that exercise had these vast effects on the brain, you know, we would have been exercising more from an earlier stage. And we know that the earlier you focus on your recovery and do these things that are brain healthy, the better your recovery is going to yeah. be in the long run. hundred oh, percent. And I, I totally, amen. Yeah. You know, you just took us to church on that. That's bang on. And I think I, again, I'm optimistic though, because I think it's changing. And I think, you know, together with organizations like yours and, and the community with this podcast together, we are helping to change that from what was seen not that long ago as a fixed condition to much more of a growth based, you know, mindset towards this, this, these conditions. So yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people nodding as they hear what you just said there. When you think about this work, then and you go back to the literature, you were looking at the literature and it was, it was scary. There wasn't a lot there. What was one or two of the biggest influences in you along this journey? Before we go into that, I do want to touch on a few of the other frustrations I have with this area. Yes, please. I think that to your point, like things are starting to change and with like like-minded organizations, it's starting to push the pendulum a little bit forwards, right? But I think that the vast majority of organizations besides, you know, I've I've con like a lot of us have connected with great like-minded organizations such as us connecting and other like-minded organizations, but a lot of the professionals and people doing great things in this field are working in silos. And I think we all have to come together on a shared vision for how, you know, brain injury should be treated moving forwards for the betterment of patients, right? We should all be aware of all these great technologies that are out there. We should all be aware of all of these lifestyle modalities. And we should work together to make a, you know, a standardized, streamlined standard of care. And then also a standardized pathway for brain injury, because I know if I didn't have a very motivated family who was my, my dad was constantly contacting people in the hospital, trying to, you know, get me into the best rehab hospital in Toronto, my recovery would not have been what it was. You know, there is no streamlined pathway. It's like, once you leave acute care, if you don't have a, you don't have access to funding through because you're deemed catastrophic in a car accident and you don't have access to funding and access to a case manager that helps you navigate you through the pathway, it's hard to know what the steps are in the pathway if you've never been through this experience before. That's another thing that we wanted to contribute to or be a part of through Brain Changes It's is the creation of this streamlined navigation pathway where it's like, you know, you visit the nonprofit Brain Changes and they kind of map out for you what the ideal pathway should look like for a brain injury patient, what modalities they should use to, to recover, et cetera. Yeah. I love it. And it's, it's such a, the need is 
sadly enormous for that. And uh, it does start start though with education as you're doing so well and also community engagement. So thank you for, for adding those, you know, oh, um, frustrations. Now, is there an, a, any other frustrations you wanted to list? Cause it, 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 go ahead. <laughs> oh, no other frustrations. I've got, we should maybe return to the story because it'll get to, to the questions that you had for me about like the inspirations mm-hmm. for my recovery and yeah. some inspirational books, which we both read, which are very, <laughs> very important for, uh, for brain injury recovery and brain health in general. So as I mentioned, my recovery began at Toronto Rehab and I was enrolled in this research study with Dr. Robin Green. And the purpose of this research was to intensify my rehab. So I was receiving double the therapies already was receiving on the neural ward. So double the physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech language pathology. And the hopes was to improve my recovery to return to to medicine. And also as a part of this research study, I had to write a series of four neuropsychological evaluations that basically test your your baseline functions, your memory, your attention, your speed of processing, all of your your cognitive abilities. And the first one I wrote was when I was a patient at Toronto Rehab still, and I was at the end of my stay. And it was clear that I was not going to be able to return to medicine at that point. And so my inpatient rehab team kind of broached it to my family that, you know, they were trying to be encouraging and optimistic and said like, you know, he may want to consider changing his, his life goals. Mm-hmm. They were trying to be realistic, right? And there were some recommendations from my inpatient team to my outpatient team around things that I needed to work on. And that was the point that my outpatient rehab began. And again, I was a very stubborn patient, so I wasn't willing to take the word of, of the doctors or the healthcare practitioners. I kind of took the bull by the horns and took my recovery into my own hands and started doing all my own research. And what I learned, and I read a book, uh, you know, this is uh, where I'm going to mention the book that we both read. It was, this was really the Bible for my recovery in the outpatient setting. And it was a book called Spark, the revolutionary (laughs) new science of exercise in the brain. And so the book, as you know, starts out talking about a school district on the outskirts of Chicago And there's nothing remarkable about this school district. It's not like the students are any smarter than any other school districts or that they pump more money into the school district. The one thing that was completely different and revolutionary about the school district was that they revamped their phys ed program such that all of their students would exercise rigorously at the beginning of every morning to prime their brain for learning. And the amazing thing was that after implementing this new gym program, they scored this school district that was, again, unremarkable, scored number one in the world in science and number six in math. Yeah, on, on standardized testing, which so to me, I, I was reading this like, wow, exercise is, is this profound and has this effect on the brain. I literally took that and ran with it. And uh, <laughs> You did. You did. Yes. And then the book goes on to talk about all the effects, the positive benefits scientifically that exercise has on the brain. Again, as you're, you're very well acquainted with like exercise has umpteen effects on the brain. It upregulates brain derived neurotrophic factor, which is basically a miracle growth for the brain. 
It upregulates your neurohormones that improve mental processing, dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, increases blood flow and oxygenation to the brain. It is anti-inflammatory to the brain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I started structuring my days around aerobic exercise. So I would wake up early. I would go for five kilometer runs and you know, I would go home. I would have a little bit of fatigue after this. Of course, my brain was still healing. And after that short period of rest, I would wake up and start filling these newly created brain cells that I had made through this aerobic exercise with meaningful information by you know, stimulating my brain, by reviewing med school notes I had missed. I was practicing the guitar to practice my fine motor control skills. I was, I took up non-contact sports like golf for gross motor control. I was reading books and summarizing these books at more and more distant intervals to test my memory for the short term and the long term. And all these things really, I really started to make, to notice differences. You know, at, at the beginning, I remember having, going through notes and, you know, it would take me like hours to review one lecture and I would, would have retained very, like very, very small amounts of that information. And after months, like it was like night and day, like it was literally like somebody turned a, a light switch on in my, in my brain. And, you know, in addition to spark and all the research that I'd done on aerobic exercise, there was also a number of other lifestyle pillars that I was reading about and implementing into my recovery regimen, like mindfulness, meditation, brain, healthy diet and nutrition the positive effects of, of good sleep and limiting harmful exposures. Mm -hmm. I kind of structured my day around these lifestyle pillars and it had these incredible impacts within eight months. I returned to medicine and, you know, they, the deans of the school again, kind of said like, you know, we, we don't really see people recovering from this. We're not, we're not sure that you're, you're ready to be back. They wanted me to rewrite every single exam that I'd already passed in med school. and I kind of said, you know what, I'll rewrite one exam to show you that I'm back. And my mark improved by like 10% from the year before. So after that, successfully completed my medical schooling, my residency. And then when I graduated from residency in 2019, my family and I said, you know what, we've learned so much through this experience. And I call it our traumatic brain injury because they experienced traumatic brain injury with me. They were there through every, every step of the way. And we kind of said, we have so much to offer people. Why don't we do something or create something that's going to help impact change in this field of, of medicine, the field of the brain? So we started the Brain Changes Initiative, the goal of which is to improve the standard of care for traumatic brain injury research and to fund research around groundbreaking non-pharmacological approaches to healing the brain. And we also serve as an avenue of awareness, education, and support for brain injury patients, their families, healthcare providers, and people who just want to live a brain-healthy lifestyle. That's so great, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing that and for your... I mean, it's interesting as we 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 have the opportunity to meet some pretty special people on the show, and you're right up near that top, is the action, the you know, the capacity to not accept what is not yet there. And since it was no not yet there to create something that helps to help the next generation of people that may be in a similar situation, or also invite other people in the community who may not have suffered 
uh, brain injury, but are looking to just better their lives and be a part of something bigger than themselves. Why don't you talk about what happens in in the in the summer and in, in Toronto, right by the lakeshore there? Why don't you talk a little bit yeah, about that? For sure, I would love to. But on that note that you that you just made, I, I do want to say that what I want to impress upon people is that every brain injury is different. When you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury, and nobody has the the right or the authority to dictate what your prognosis and outcome is going to be. So I encourage everybody to take their own life into their own hands and again, do everything you can possible to change your outcome, to improve it, to do what you want to do. You are the, the sole person who governs, you know, your outcome and what you do in life. And yeah, you, you know, not everybody is going to make, a you know a perfect recovery and everybody's going to make a full recovery but why would you not want to try your very utmost to make the best recovery possible that you can and also to achieve your goals dreams and and aspirations and you know your your dreams goals and aspirations may change again i wanted i was like i said was interested in being an obstetrician gynecologist when you know when i was a, started med school but obviously through this experience, I developed a completely different passion and it took me down a completely different path. So yeah, in some respects, you know, a brain injury is such a traumatic thing and, you know, it, it, it really does change everything about your life. But in some respects, you know, in my instance, I, I feel like I look at it like it's a blessing because it, it gave me this new path, this new passion. I, I feel like it was, it's something that I was meant to do. Yeah, it's amazing. So, I mean, think about that for each of us, think about that in our own lives. What is it, right? It, it reminds me, and this may be something, a book you're not aware of, but it, I think it holds a great amount of relevance. There's a, there's a book that I, that I read recently and I've read a couple of times and you may or may not be familiar with it, but you're definitely familiar with the concept that underpins the main message. And that's the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. And that book is really interesting because as Stephen Pressfield, he's a renowned author, right? And he always said, I was going to write that book. <laughs> and then he was doing all these other things in his life. And he'd say, he would always say, you know, I'm an author. I'm, I'm going to write that book. And, you know, he had the typewriter and it was hidden under a bunch of stuff. And one day, though, I'm going to write that book. What the book is all about is about resistance. And the resistance, oftentimes, as hard as it is for some of us to admit, can be self-imposed and we can have every other reason that the resistance was put there and it, and it's true there are obstacles absolutely but the resistance to step into that yep is is put there by us and us alone so absolutely. i mean when i think about your journey i think about this capacity to you have every excuse in the world to not go back you and everyone would understand that right yep. but then so you walk through that resistance, I think, pretty darn quickly. I don't want to speak for you, but pretty darn quickly. How about, though, the medical professionals? And this is the piece that I always find fascinating, is many of the medical professionals that may have said, you know, Matt, you've had a brain injury. And typically, you know, these things don't get better. And typically, what about their resistance? <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Thing, that's why, you know, things have to change. And with education and, you know, awareness, everything that, you know, organizations are doing to 
put this information out there, I feel like is it is going to make a drastic change in the school of thought for healthcare professionals and you know just the general public alike that the brain really is the most incredible organ that we have in the body no and no question and no question yeah i mean i love it that whole point that you made about like resistance and you know pushing through resistance to the core that almost is neuroplasticity because yes. the more you practice something over and over again you're recruiting more and more neurons and brain cells to that neural network and you are strengthening connections so the more and more you push through resistance, the better things are going to get. I love it. I love it. But it takes, it does. So for some of, some of us out there, you know, the other guy that I know you probably definitely would know, and he talks about this all the time, would be David Goggins, who's a bit of an extreme example. Absolutely. But but he says sometimes, and I know you've been there. I, well, I don't know it for sure, but I believe you have. I know I'm there all the time. Goggins would say sometimes he has to run. He hates running. But sometimes he's got to convince himself and it could take 30 minutes of him just looking at the shoes, <laughs> you know, and then finally put them on and go. Because if you ever regretted doing the exercise after you've done it. I love David Goggins. I think that he, <laughs> you know what I always say, like, you know, one of actually our, our chief experience officer at Brain Changes, he's also a huge fan of Goggins. And we talk about it and I say, you know what, David Goggins is a neuroplastician. He it's like he yep. invented, it's like he like he discovered neuroplasticity in his own right. He doesn't know the medical name for it, but everything that he does is neuroplastic. He, yep. he but he the concepts that he talks about is a you know changing, shifting your mindset, uh con your your mindset is all based in neuroplasticity. hundred percent. I totally agree. And I mean his language isn't for everyone, but you know, his story's absolutely remarkable. And, you know, you're, you know, don't downplay yourself there, Matt, you're, you're inspiring a lot of people here with what you're doing and, and creating a new path for so many. Don't be surprised. And I'm sure it happens. You'll hear from people and families of people. How did you do it? You know, what did you do? Right. And, you know, that's part of what meta, how we became connected was we saw the same thing as, you know, my experience with, with special education and, and some of the cognitive, you know, training programs that I saw that were not available enough to people. Yep that could help to provide a process that people could engage in if they couldn't design one, which many, Absolutely. many can design one. And you're a great example. Like you did it, man. And it's awesome. But for some, they're not able to design it and they need a framework. And, and we need those medical professionals. We all like frameworks and they're being created and, and it's up to us to walk past our own resistance to explore what can be possible. So, you know, that's our kind of courageous thing from, from Matt and Mark here, <laughs> like if you've been curious about why these sorts of recoveries may happen in some cases, dig into it. Don't just only look for the peer-reviewed journal. Look into the case studies and try to understand what why this is happening because the results are usually quite logical. It's interesting though, because I've talked to a lot of survivors, a lot of people that are like, have similar stories to you and I, and there's a common theme. You know, a lot of people who have made great recoveries you know, have discovered these things for themselves, these modalities, you know, a lot of them have yeah. implemented high level exercise into their daily routine, change their diet around, practice regular mindfulness meditation. These are our pillars. They literally are pillars of brain health. And, and yeah, the, the more you see those cases here and there, you say, okay, th these aren't just individual case studies. 
all these put together, this could make a pretty robust study. 100%. 100%. And my encouragement to people that are out there in the, and, the, and the, maybe they want to argue this point. We're ready. Like, come yeah. on, let's let's go. And and it's good. It's good. Healthy debate is a good, good thing because we'll learn. So, yep. you know, we're, that that's open. OK, there's contact information for Matt that will be in the show notes here. My show, my contact information is always in the show notes. So please, please, if you if you want to discuss further on that or want to kind of push back a little bit on that, that's OK. That's great. That's how healthy debate is how we grow for people out there. So they're listening. They're saying, OK, I'm on, I'm in. I want to support what Matt's doing. How do I get involved? Yeah. So, I mean, so as I mentioned to you before, the mission of Brain Changes Initiative is the ultimate goal is to improve the standard of care for traumatic brain injury. The way we think that a change in standard of care needs to be driven is really threefold. So one, it has to infiltrate the community level. You know, the average person has to understand and buy into the fact that the brain does have this immense potential to change, reroute, and heal. So We do that through our community awareness events. And one that you mentioned uh, is one that we host every summer. And it's the Brain Gains Run for Neurogenesis. So it's a weekly run through High Park in Toronto. And basically, the, the whole run, there's elements that are aerobic and anaerobic. There's HIIT training exercise, which also has been shown to you know, have an additive effect and on improving neuroplasticity and changing the brain. And, you know, it kind of, this run is a weekly run because we designed it like that because we, you know, recovering from the brain injury or living a brain healthy lifestyle is not just about like a one-time marathon. It's really about implementing aerobic exercise into your daily routine. So that's why it's a weekly run. And you know, it served as a great way during the pandemic to get people moving, but what a great way to spread awareness around the effects of aerobic exercise on the brain. And after our first year, our pilot year, it really took off. It expanded across the nation. We had small groups running for neurogenesis across Canada, including Mark, <laughs> you, you and your team were also running yeah. for neurogenesis yeah. and it served as, you know, that national run served as a fundraising platform to raise research for these incredible lifestyle approaches for brain health. So we've actually partnered with Brain Canada this year around, you know, research to change the standard of care for traumatic brain injury centered around non-pharmacological approaches. So we're very happy and proud about that. And sorry about that rant, but back to my, my original point that there are three ways that we think that we need to drive a change in the standard of care. So one, again, community awareness. The second one is, you know, healthcare providers themselves have to understand these approaches. So we do that through educational series, which, you know, Mark, you know that we've hosted a few mm-hmm. with organizations like Obaya, Ontario yeah. Brain Injury Association, yeah. we've hosted some with, with hospitals. And we basically educate, we bring professionals who are who educate other professionals about these lifestyle approaches for brain health so that these practitioners can then pass on this information to their patients. And the last way we feel that we need to drive a change of the standard of care is obviously through the research and not just research, but clinical implementation of research. So as I mentioned to you before, we we fund research around 
these lifestyle pharmacological approaches to healing the brain. And a huge barrier with research, I think, in the past, the way it was done was that research is done usually controls for, you know, too many variables. It tries to control every single variable. Researchers sometimes will tell you, you know, we could only research one thing at a time because that way we know the effect is because of that, right? So that also limits you because then you don't understand the way different modalities interact with each other and the effects that, you know, exercise and diet together can have on on the brain per se, right? So a lot of the research that we support, some of the criteria is that you have to study at least two non-pharmacological modalities together to see how they interact on recoveries. 100%. And it's just not done. That's the part that I, you know, you know, to my no, frustration, you- it's so frustrating because it's just not done. And I mean, I love research too. Like I, I, I think it's remarkable. I think it's amazing. But, and the reality is it does take a lot of time and multiple RTCs to get a really good understanding as to what is, you know, really quite likely to be a good intervention. However, what do you do in the meantime? <laughs> you know, like, like we're all committed. We, we can all agree with that. Like, I don't think anybody that's listening to this, at least, is going to probably disagree with that. But my question is then, okay, well, what do you do in the meantime then? Because it's not acceptable for us to now say, well, you know what, your outcome is not going to be good. Well, we don't necessarily know that for particular individuals because we haven't exposed them to a behavioral intervention that may or may not drive change. And it's important to make that option, to mention that option and to check your own biases (laughs) against a particular modality. It's okay to be biased as long as you own it, you know? And, you know, when I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, there was a really interesting group of researchers out of Boston there talking about GCS, Glasgow Coma Scale, as being problematic to predict. I'll send it to you. It's a poster, man, so it's not too robust. But it's interesting because it's like, maybe this measure isn't a very good predictor, you know, necessarily in the long term, depending on the intervention that goes. So if we have a GCS of three, but then we're doing all of these other sort of lifestyle interventions and we're doing things like the ABI wellness program as well, in conjunction with that, maybe that will yield a different outcome than someone that gets more compensatory strategies based, less focused on function, non-Goggins type functional recovery work, (laughs) surely there's going to likely be a difference if that's the control group and this is the intervention group. Sorry for the rant, but I just had to do it. (laughs) I I could not agree more. I could not agree more. And yeah, I mean, I I know that your, I mean, your program is, is a testament to it that like these modalities modalities together can have an additive accelerating effect on recovery of, of neurological disorders. We know this. Um, and you know, the, the amazing thing that I have to say about like the brain and, and some of these modalities that we're talking about is that, you know, the, the brain is such a complex organ, but to some degree, it can almost be simplified because what's brain healthy is brain healthy. You know, whether you have a stroke, whether you have yes. a brain injury, whether you yes. have mental health, all of these things that are brain healthy are brain healthy. And again, please, please check out his website, go to Brain Changes, check it out, get involved. You can run remotely, you can do it virtually. And you know what, the way I look at it, I'll let you in on a little insider thing with me. I call it, sometimes I'll try to get up before work, so it'll be my morning investment, middle of the day, lunch investment, night, 
night investment, all investment because I'm investing in me and I'm getting better for me by doing it. So it's like, I'm taking this time to be a better me. And, and that's exactly what you do. And you know what? We can all do it in our own way. Well, I've worked with people who have had spinal cord injury and you know what? They're doing the hand bike. They're investing in their brain health by doing that. And the physical Absolutely. stuff, well, that's a byproduct of good, of good stuff. And this is what Rady, going back to what Rady did and d- yep. continues to do. The guy's awesome. He's yep. like, you know what? I'm going to, he's a, here, here's a guy who's teaching at Harvard, busy dude. And he's writing prescriptions. People have these persisting attention disorders. He's writing prescriptions for aerobic exercise. Absolutely. Beautiful. And for those of you who don't know, John J. Rady, he's the, uh, the author of, that book that I mentioned, Spark, the Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain. The other thing I, I wanted to, you, yeah. you know, you got me down a line of thinking. <laughs> the, other, the other thing that I wanted to, to mention and impart on, on the audience is that, you know, a lot of people have a, a very busy day to day and they say, you know what, like, you know, exercise is nice, but I don't have the luxury of, of making it a priority. I have to focus on work. I have to focus on like what, from what I've learned through my experience, it's, you know, cause I used to think like that. I used to put off going to yeah. the gym in my early yeah. years at, as a med student, because I would be like, Oh, I have to study. That's my priority right now without realizing that, you know, the, the two aren't mutually exclusive exercise is going to improve my functioning, my cognitive abilities. So you know, for those of you thinking like, oh, I'm you know, going to put off gym <laughs> for a week because I have to get stuff done, I will wake up early, you know, perform your aerobic exercise, prime your brain for the day, as well as, you know, your body. It has those effects on the body. And, you know, you're, you're going to notice a huge difference in your day-to-day functioning. And, and hey, that's not uh, medical advice because he is a doctor. He's not saying it. But it is really good advice. Just generally do it. Okay. And yeah, in your absolutely. own way, do it. And, you know, I encourage you to get involved. A lot of us, you know, through the pandemic have been struggling, trying to find something, a purpose to, to connect with. And this is one that you could really help to drive change by getting involved. So I encourage everybody to go to the website, check it out, to listen to what Matt had to say, to share this, download this one, share it far and wide. More people need to understand this, especially sadly, because there's, there's just not enough education out there right now. This is a, a growing field, though, and we're both optimistic about it. But it's only through your efforts and you can actually help to help someone by downloading and sharing this today. So Matt, man, thanks. I I knew I'd like waiting till 100 for you. So well done. Congrats to you and your work. Thank you to your family for all that they do behind the scenes as well. And we'll see everybody on the next episode. Anything, any party words you wanted to kind of finish with? Sorry. Yeah. So I wanted to say that uh, if you want to support us at Brain Changes, please follow us at Brain Changes on Instagram. Our website is brainchanges.org. If you're interested in volunteering or getting involved in any way, please email info at brainchanges.org. And like Mark said, join our run for neurogenesis 2023. More details to come. So follow us on social media and look at our website for updates. And the last thing that I wanted to mention pertains to the research that we have going on with Brain Canada. So for the first time ever, you know, we're kind of changing the way research is being done where we're engaging stakeholders around the brain. So patients, family members, healthcare providers, legal professionals, as it pertains to brain injury, and we're interviewing them to figure out where the the gaps are in the system and where the research should be directed to 
best impact change. So if you're interested in being a stakeholder in our research, please email info at brainchanges.org. And you could also email Brain Canada as well. There will be, Mark, I'll provide you with a link. You could- Wonderful. This after for an email that all of these potential stakeholders can reach out to. This will all be in the show notes. So no worries. Okay. Everyone listening, just just scroll down right there. Yeah, right there and click right there. And you'll be able to connect with whoever you, you want to based on what Matt's suggestions were. So again, thanks, man. And keep it up. And I know we'll both be running maybe a little more indoors than outdoors, but, you know, get, get involved in, in 2023. Absolutely. And, you know, just on a parting note, really good person for your next interview, Ben yeah. Finelli. Okay. Uh, ben Finelli. Okay. Ex OHL hockey player who was hit from behind, suffered a severe traumatic brain injury. Mm. And his story is, you know, a lot like yours and mine. And it's, okay. he, he made a remarkable recovery. And he did what he knew best. And that was aerobic exercise. And, you know, that got him far. And he actually returned to his craft. And, you know, wow. he's uh, he's at now an inspirational speaker. So he's a great speaker to cool. have on your next. Oh, podcast. wonderful. Well, you you, you got to help me then. You got to connect me with them. You make that happen in a separate email. And, you know, everybody, thank you so much for the support. And have a great rest of the day. Share this. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. And thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and wanna learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so, just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neuro rehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.